Okay, so I'll be uh, uh, reading uh, to you from the NIV 11, um, uh, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 27 to, um, uh, to verse uh, 15. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic, and resin, aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Uh, it really is great to be with you for these uh, three weeks talking about work. And work is something that, that affects us all and all in different ways. Um, most of you will know that depending on where, uh, what era you're born into, the circumstances you're born into, that will affect your attitude towards work. Uh, my father, for example, uh, I have his gold watch here. Right? Uh, on the back, it says it was given to him for... 35 years of service to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Uh, now, the idea of someone working 35 years in one job these days in Australia 
is just extraordinary. You know, someone coming out of high school would never think that way. And, you know, they say you'll not only have five jobs in your life, you'll have five careers coming out of high school. Scary thought, really, if you're in high school. But, uh, you know, my father, 35 years, Commonwealth Bank. Now, I, I remember asking him uh, one day how this came about. He didn't finish high school. Uh, he was a highly intelligent man. He enlisted in the Air Force for a couple of years. Then he joined the bank. Uh, he was promoted to a bank manager by the time he uh, finished his career. But he, as I say, he's a very intelligent man. I think he could have gone to university. He could have probably done almost anything he wanted to, I suspect, you know, an accountant or a lawyer or any number of different careers. And I asked him why he didn't take that sort of course. This is what he said. When he was 12 years old, his father, my grandfather, died by falling down the hold of a ship in his work. Uh, at that stage, he left uh, my grandmother, his mother, and three children, and my father was the eldest of those three children. You see, it wasn't so much a, what will I do with my life? It was a, I need to go and get a job so we can eat. Very different sort of situation uh, in terms of the way in which he got into things. Circumstance. You'll know, like me, that uh, the thought of what job will I do, uh, that sort of notion is a modern notion, and it's a, it's a 21st century Western notion. Most people, when they, they were born in our world, just did what their parents did. There was no choice about it. You just, you just followed in their footsteps, and you needed to do that. Your attitude to work, it can be shaped by your stage of life. Uh, you'll think about work very differently if you're a student or if you're retired or if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're in employment you love or if you're in employment you hate. All those things will affect your thinking about work. But the one thing we all know is that employment will consume a big part of the average person's existence. Uh, it's said that people in the Western world uh, are on average in paid employment for 100,000 hours of their life. It's second only to the number of hours that you sleep. Now, it's huge, isn't it, in terms of the place it occupies in our existence. And I think work can have a big impact on the way in which you feel about yourself, the way in which you view yourself, uh, regard yourself. So what we're going to do for three weeks is we're going to explore what the Bible says about work. We, we can't look at everything, but we can erect a few frameworks and think those through together. And today it's all about the big picture of work. And what we discover, and we've just been reminded of it in uh, Genesis 1 and 2, is the fact that uh, we are made to work. Did you notice the Bible uh, kicks us off with God getting his hands dirty? It's interesting, isn't it? God systematically constructs the universe. God makes stuff. In fact, he makes everything and everyone. Uh, he's a God who creates beauty and goodness, a God who's involved in his world and he also sustains it. And what we discover here in Genesis chapter 1 is that God makes people in his image. You pick that up in Genesis 1, verse 27, should come up on the screen. Uh, God has made mankind or humanity in his own image. And God gives us responsibilities attached to that. So in chapter 1, verse 26, our task, we heard, was to rule 
over creation. Or in chapter 1, verse 28, our job is to fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, it's reinforced for us when you get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Man is placed in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Now, I want you to just stop for a second with me and think about it because it didn't need to be this way. You know, God could have created a, a self-propagating world, you know, where the animals looked after themselves and at the right time volunteered for food, you know, and uh, the crops just kept self-producing and we didn't have to do anything. You know, the oceans looked after themselves, the fish volunteered for our plates, you know, in due course, you know. It's, the, it, the world could have operated that way, releasing us just to relax, you know, and to enjoy ourselves and to, uh, you know, drink uh, organic coffee and hipster cafes all the time, play play games and watch Netflix, you know. Like, that could have been the world, but that's not the way in which God has constructed it. We're like God in the sense that we made this image to work. And that brings with it a, a creativity. Uh, I suspect there wouldn't be a person in this room that doesn't get some satisfaction from doing creative things. Right? I remember Mike... A few years ago, he had the chance to renovate his backyard. He had bulldozers going through, right? And it was a tad frustrating on the way through, wasn't it, Mike? Yeah, yeah. but the result, do you not feel proud? Oh, there's great joy in the the outcomes of that sort of activity. But all of us, you know, sowing or, you know, uh, working on your garden and producing plants or whatever it is, there's that sense of innate creativity that's part of being who we are. Work is a dignified thing in the context of God's creation. And you would have picked up also in Genesis 1 and 2 the idea that we're made to be subcontractors in this world. I use it in that way because God has given us delegated responsibility to care for his planet, uh, his universe, the place that he owns. And that's uh, really important in our understanding of who we are. Because if you're in employment and you're working for somebody, here's the reality. It doesn't matter who pays your wages. God is your boss. He's the ultimate boss. Colossians 3, verse 17. This is what it says. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you understand whether you're working, whether you're unemployed, stay-at-home parent, student, retiree, uh, we all have the same ultimate boss, okay? And we'll, we'll come back to that next week. Big picture work. Fall or sin or the rejection of God, it affects our work. Uh, if you stopped at the end of Genesis chapter 2, you would think the work was just going to be a great joy, all beer and skittles, you know, just, just good fun, really. That's the way you'd... You'd view it. But by the end of Genesis chapter 3, people have turned their back on God and God judges them for their rebellion. And it affects everything that happens in our world, including work. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. At this point, uh, God's speaking to Adam, and this is what he says. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. Now, hear what it's saying. Work involves pain, right? Through painful toil, you'll eat. 
uh, work is frustrating. It will produce thorns and thistles. You know, last weekend I mowed my lawn, but in a while, you know, two or three months' time, I'll have to mow it again. You know, like it's just the way it works. Lawns grow, you know, and uh, I'll probably have to mow it before that. But work's frustrating, right? Work is hard. Uh, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat your food. And work is ultimately pointless. Right? Pointless. To dust, you will return. See, I want you to think you get uh, your ultimate dream job. Let's say your ultimate dream job was not to work on aircraft or submarines or other things that people here work on. Let's say your dream job was to be a, you know, a medical research expert in the area of, of cancer. Um, now, that would be extremely worthwhile, wouldn't it? Affects lives, extends the lives of many. Let's say you came up with a research breakthrough that cured, uh, you know, treated lymphoma. But here's the thing. You still have to work alongside difficult people. Uh, you'll still get tired. And with your long-range spectacles on, you know that the work you do has limited effect. And, and don't get me wrong when it comes to this area of medical research. Uh, a couple of years ago, many of you will know, Sue had lymphoma. And I was incredibly thankful for the specialist that was treating her. Who actually was someone who'd made a breakthrough in the area of treatment that she was in and cared for her as she went through it. I was really thankful for his genius in discovering the treatment as well as his care for Sue as we went through that phase of her life. But here's the thing, that medical specialist, uh, Sue and I, we know that all we did was put off the inevitable. Now, I'm not saying the inevitable is that Sue will die of cancer, right? As far as we know, she probably won't, uh, or she might, but who knows? Like, we don't know. Uh, But the, the putting off the inevitability is this. In 10 or 20 or 50 or maybe even 100 years' time, uh, Sue... I, you, we will all return to dust. Do you you understand what I'm saying? There's a futility uh, about the work that we all do in this world. Okay. Here's the third thing. Work is necessary. You see in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 the way God uh, sets up Adam and Eve to cultivate food for their sustenance. And that's a picture of life in this world. You You have to work to survive. Uh, When you go to the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, it says this, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and doesn't live according to the teaching you receive from us. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Do you understand what the Bible's saying here? The Bible tells us that we work to provide for our essential needs. You know, food on the table, roof over our head. Now, can I say, culturally, that's such a foreign idea. Most of us don't work for food on the table or a shelter over our head. Most of us work for the extras, you know, the, the additional things. It's not just the staple things that we're talking about here. But that's the essential picture of the world we live in. 
And also notice in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's not talking about those who won't, won't work. Uh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians is talking about those who won't work, not about those who can't find work. Uh, that's the picture there. We live in a society where those who have work are actually able to support those who can't get it, and that's a totally appropriate thing to do. Right? Big picture stuff, just some building blocks. Work is good, it's frustrating, it's necessary. You know, it has to be done, that sort of picture. What I want to do with the rest of the time we have is to think through some of the, the implications uh, because I think the Bible's view on work is revolutionary in terms of our world and self-understanding. What I want to do is just show you a couple of diagrams that hopefully will uh, put this into a framework. Take a look at this first one. It captures what we've been looking at in Genesis 1 and 2. God makes us. Uh, he gives us our meaning and purpose. And we have a role in terms of the way we look after God's world. Okay, that's the picture in Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world, creates us. We look, for the, look after the world. Flick to the next diagram. Uh, this pictures the situation at the end of Genesis chapter 3. That is, we reject God. And instead of looking to God for our meaning and identity, uh, we actually look to the creation for our sense of who we are. Cut God, God off. You've got to look somewhere, and this is all we get to do. So we measure ourselves according to the created order rather than to the creator. The third slide, I just want to apply that when it comes to our thinking about work. Um, God has made the world, he's made us, but as a result of Genesis 3, God has made the creation. He has frustrated the creation. And what that means is he has frustrated work. And therefore, God has made us to work. But instead of seeing our role as caring for God's creation, we look to the creation, we look to our work to give us our sense of meaning and identity. Do you see how it's all back to front in terms of the way in which God intended it and that is the natural order of things post genesis chapter 3 we look to the wrong places for meaning and purpose so what i'm going to do is explore uh, some of what that means so in a fallen world it seems to me that we tend to look to work to provide our self-worth uh, almost every culture that's ever existed has a pecking order or a caste system when it comes to the way in which people, people's value is based on their employment. Like the ancient Greeks, they looked down on people who en engaged in manual labour. Listen to Aristotle. He wrote this. The citizen of the state must not lead the life of a mechanic or a tradesman, for such a life is ignoble and against all virtue. No, that's Aristotle, the ancient Greeks. Uh, earlier this year, I was reading the newspaper, it talked about the ATAR entrance score that you need to get into various courses at university and how that's worked out. So medicine, physio, dentistry, law, mechatronic engineering, they're all right in the top of that list, you know, mid-90s or above, if you want to study those particular subjects, right, those courses. And interestingly, when surveys are done on the people that we admire, in our society, it matches that grouping. That is, medical specialists, 
high court judges, you know, they've taken a bit of a beating lately. But, you know, like generally, though, um, those sort of things, because the people we esteem, we want to be like, and therefore the, the ability to get in those, those courses, which got nothing to do with how many brains you've got, it's purely marks and uh, pecking order structures in order to get into those sort of courses. But can I say God does not value us based on our gifts or our intelligence or our skills or our shrewdness. God does not value you based on the job you have. Right? That is a spiritual nonsense. And the reason for that is it would be strange, wouldn't it? If God valued some of the people he had made based on some of the gifts he had given them. Wouldn't that be a bizarre way to think about it? God does not operate that way. But we need to ask ourselves to what degree we, you know, 21st century believers, the degree to which we've imbibed that sort of unbiblical way of thinking when it comes to work. Uh, as a church, do we have a higher regard for some rather than others based on their, their jobs? Essentially, I remember being at one of the Trinity churches and we're out in the yard one day and a newcomer came up to me and they said, see that person over there serving coffee? I said, is that Professor X? And uh, I said, yes, it is Professor X, you know. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, did you know that, and told me all about his credentials, you know. And I said, yes. I said, we let professors serve coffee here. <laughs> do, you, do you understand? Like there is no, there is no distinction based on what job you have or your intelligence or your ability at that level. God doesn't see it that way, and nor should we. But let me ask: Do you think of yourself more highly or less highly based on what you do? Do you? See, that's a really because. Instinctively, if I asked you that, you'd say, oh, no, of course not, right? But how would you know? How do you work it out? Maybe some tests. Um, let's say those of you who have jobs, uh, let's say tomorrow you lost your job, you got sacked. Let's say it was a professional job and you were unemployed. Would that change the way you felt about yourself? I don't understand there'd be practical problems with it. But would it change the way you felt about yourself? Or would it change the way you felt about yourself if instead of doing that job you enjoyed, you were doing something which you were overqualified for, say working at Coles uh, or driving an Uber or something like that just to put food on the table? You see, there is a dignity about work, not a more dignity about some work over other work. How would you see this? Parents, how do you feel about your kids? See, where does education fit into your thinking about raising your children? It's so important children get such a good education so they can get a really good job so they can earn really good money so they can... Really? Really? <laughs> like, it's just not Christian. It's just not... Like, I'm not saying there's any problem with getting education or getting a good job, but do you understand just to get onto that treadmill just because it's there is not, is not biblical in the way in which we are to frame ourselves in our thinking. And here's the thing that I observe over the years. Parents would be really worried 
if their kids didn't go to school regularly to get that education. But sometimes Christian parents are a little less worried if the kids aren't that keen to go to youth group. But when I talk to parents, you'd never think about your kids not going to school. But sometimes Christian parents have entertained the idea of their kids not going to youth group. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, like, which is the more important at that point? Or if you're a retired person, we've probably got a few of those here today, do you find yourself describing who you are based on the job you used to have? You know, is that, that work history important in terms of identifying who you are at this particular point in time? So you're a child of God. You were that when you're working, you're that when you're not working. Or let's say you're a stay-at-home parent. So you often find um, stay-at-home parents have this, this striving for who am I? Am I just an appendage of my children? You know? Because you serve the Lord as you serve with your children or in your employment. I'm not thinking uh, you shouldn't have kids and work or anything like that. I'm just saying that often our sense of identity is tied up with the need because our world says it's important to have paid employment in terms of measure who we are and to feel fulfilled. Do you understand? It's just a myth. It's uh, not the one which we should think. We don't look to work to provide our sense of worth. That's not, not the way we do it. Well, what about fulfilling our potential? Is that a Christian way to think? Let me run this past you. Uh, what I want you to do is to answer this question. God wants me to be the best, fill in bracket here, you know, uh, doctor, lawyer, street sweeper, stay-at-home parent, retiree, CEO of company, secretary, garbage clerk, whatever you want to pop in there, just pop it in. God wants me to be the best I can possibly be. You know, understand here it is doing your best that you possibly can at whatever you put your hand to. Now, is that Christian or not? Doing the best you possibly can at whatever. It sounds a bit more Christian, I reckon, but actually it's not because it's, it's actually impossible to fulfil your potential uh, in this world anyway. Like, did I do as well in my year 12 as I possibly could have? No. Did I do as well at law school as I possibly could have? No. Was I the best lawyer I could possibly have been? No. Have I reached my full potential as a pastor? No. I'm sorry about that, right? And that's apart from all the other things I could have possibly done, like, you know, professional football player, you know. Well, maybe I couldn't have done that. But, you know, like, or there are all sorts of possibilities in life. And, of course, if you extend the categories beyond work, how do you fulfil your potential in all of life? How does that that work? I mean, have I been the best pastor, lawyer, husband, father, son, neighbour I could possibly have been? No. And in fact, often those areas seem to compete with each other. That's the way it feels. How can I possibly be the best at this without being poor at that? How do I do that as a person? You see, the whole idea of being the best you can possibly be at something or fulfilling your potential in something is just not on. This side of Genesis 3, God frustrates our ability to fulfil our potential in this world. That's just the reality. And he does it 
actually so we, we won't look to work for our meaning and for our purpose. Rather, we'll look to God. We do fulfil our potential by trusting in Jesus, by having forgiveness and knowing that we'll be raised from the dead and we'll dwell with him for all eternity. So that's when your potential is actually fulfilled in Christ. This side of that, it's actually an impossibility really. And uh, we ought not sort of aspire to do it. Okay, let me talk about one other area before I try and wrap it up. Um, when it comes to work in this world, is, is job satisfaction, is that a good thing to look for? Is that Christian? Let me read here from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good, good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. That is the gift of God. It's good to have work. It's a bonus if you can enjoy it. But it is unrealistic to think there won't be struggles. Uh, depending on the job, there's always going to be stress or difficult people you work with or obstinate clients who, who don't listen to you or dishonesty or phys- physical exhaustion or just tedium doing repetitive stuff. It can be laborious and mundane. And while we will find work, depending on the work, depending on the person, the fit, it, it can be really satisfying. And I really enjoyed it and found it satisfying uh, to work as a lawyer. Right? There were some clients I could have done without, but yeah, overall, it was pretty good. I, look, I've really enjoyed being a pastor. Right? Uh, there are some you know, people in the church I could do without too, probably. You know, like it's a, do you know what I mean? Like you, but you know that, don't you? Like we, we work together. It's not that I'm not committed to you, right? And you to me with all my faults, right? But that's just the reality of living in life. But at the end of the day, it's actually God who can satisfy your deepest longings, not your work. Listen to... Uh, what Jesus says in John chapter 4. Remember, he's, at this point he's talking to a woman beside a well. This woman has a deep need. She's been struggling. She's had, I think, five husbands. The guy she's living with is not a husband. She's been spending her whole life trying to fulfill her deepest longings with men, right? which is so stupid, right? Imagine trying to fill your life up with men and thinking that will satisfy you. Right? I'm a man, I should know. right? Uh, but Jesus says to her this, Everyone who drinks this water, remember they're standing by a well, he says, you'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you enjoy your work, great. Give thanks to God. But if you enjoy your work, you're at risk because there is a danger that it can take over in your relationship with God and preoccupy you. What about work and money? Should we uh, try and get jobs that pay the most money or is that sub-Christian? Um, friends, can I say that as Christians, the Bible's not against you earning a stack of money? The uh, Bible's really comfortable with you doing that. God is as well. That's, that's not the issue. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, Timothy speaking to the wealthy, he doesn't tell them to stop making money. He tells them to be generous. Uh, But being in love with money is a danger we face, and we especially face it in a country like Australia, which is so affluent. But of course, money is such a, again, a foolish way to measure yourself. Imagine, you know, thinking about the diagram I had on the board before. Imagine looking to money, the creation, and the accumulation of it, or the experiences you can have, or the things you drive in, as a measure of who you are as a person. See, see how it's all just so back to front in terms of the way in which we should think. Our value is established by the creator, not by the creation and what we possess. Friends, this morning what we've tried to do is just explore a few of the the boundaries with work, the joys and the frustrations. We'll, We'll come back and explore different aspects of that in the coming weeks. But what we have here is the Bible teaching us that God has made us in his image. That involves work. That's a reflection of an aspect of God's character. And can I say there is something dignified and satisfying and enjoyable about work. Uh, That's part of working in this world. But this side of Genesis chapter 3, even the best of work will be frustrating and tedious. And we live in a world that's disconnected from God. And that means it overemphasizes the place of work. Uh, it tends to rely on work uh, for our sense of meaning and purpose and well-being. And that'll mean for some of us here today that probably we have an over-reliance on our jobs to give us a sense of being okay with ourselves. That'll be one part of what's going on in this room today. But also, for others, it'll be the discouragement of feeling bad about ourselves because of the depressing work settings we're in or the fact that we can't get work. Both are actually misplaced. Whether you totally are in love with your work or hate your work, to let those two things shape who you are is inappropriate. You see, it is God who does that. Our work has nothing to do with our value. Our work is the way in which we serve God in his world and we're going to explore that more as we get together in the coming weeks. So let me pray and uh, then I'll, uh, I'll introduce our next song. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, you are our creator, you've made us well, you've made us with purpose and conviction. And Father, we thank you that you've made this world for us to uh, dwell in and to serve you in. Father, we know that the... Um, the risk is that we'll keep uh, getting things back to front. We'll keep looking to the creation for our sense of well-being rather than to you. We'll look to work for our sense of who we are rather than to you. Uh, but, Father, we pray that our, our vision will be preoccupied with who you are and the Lord Jesus Christ and all you've done for us in him. That'll be what shapes us as we then give shape to our lives in this world as we serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.